going uh, into the period of Advent. Um, if you've never done Advent or heard much talk about Advent, Advent is similar uh, in a lot of ways to our holiday traditions or um, our holiday focuses on things like like Christmas, but uh, Advent has, I think, a little uh, bit fuller um, uh, fuller and deeper meaning. Essentially, in Advent, we are preparing ourselves and preparing our hearts for the, the coming of, of Christ. Historically, that means uh, a, a celebration of the fact that he has come and, uh, and a joyful expectation that he is going to come uh, again. It's broken down into, uh, into four weeks, uh, plus, plus the actual... Uh, Christmas candle, so so five weeks of Advent. It's nice this year. We've been doing four weeks, but this year because we meet on on Christmas, we'll actually get to light the the Christmas candle. Um, so uh, the idea of Advent is, is to um, is to celebrate or to move in in um, in kind of the themes of, of Scripture in a way that prepares us and prepares our hearts for maybe the holiday to have a deeper uh, and greater meaning for us, if, if that makes uh, if that makes sense. Um, and so I think it's it's going to be a fun time for us. It's it's interesting that we just came through as we as we sat down to prepare for Advent. One of the things we we realize is one of the major themes of Advent historically is, is the second coming of Christ, which we've just come off a significant period in, in Revelation. So we had to uh, adjust some from that. Um, uh, for example, most of you know the, the, um, what we would call the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Uh, it's actually an Advent carol written about Christ's second coming, not his, his, his first coming. Uh, and so... As we were looking at, though, we realized we just came through Revelation, and while some of that, uh, some of those themes will be hit, we're, we're going to take a little bit of a different tack. So, uh, I think we have fun things planned, but this morning we're going to kind of do a, do a message that that coincides with our reading this morning. The reading this morning is from Isaiah uh, about the voice in the, in the in the desert. Uh, if we come forward to the New Testament, we're going to see that represented in the person of, of, of John the Baptist, and we're going to deal with that this morning. But I, I'll just say this by way of introduction, that, that the, the candle we lit this morning is the candle of preparation. The idea that what the church historically celebrated here was, was the idea of, of, of being prepared or getting ready for, for something. It was the idea that, that you would prepare your hearts that you would prepare yourself for something. And so I want to just talk about that, about that theme and that, that idea. I think that um, in our culture, we're not as good at preparing. We're not as good at getting ourselves, ourselves ready. Um, I think that Christmas, as opposed to Advent, uh, a Christmas focus as opposed to an Advent focus makes us worse at it. Um, we, we tend to, to reduce our holiday or our holiday tends to be reduced to in America to a commercial event in which you receive a, a, a present and, and sometimes depending on, on on what your family's like and who's in your who's in your family and how you do it in, in some families um, the presents never make it to Christmas so you open them uh, on uh, 
on Purple Saturday. That's the Saturday after Black Friday. I just made it up. Uh, so no trademark there. You can use it. Uh, but it's so exciting. Got to open those so you get the gifts. In, in other families, it's, um, it's utilitarian. In other words, tell me what you want. I will get you directly what you want. And uh, there'll be no, um, no pomp, no circumstance. Uh, I always tease this is, the, this is the family where they put the gift behind their back and say, I forgot to wrap it. And you're like, I've been in this family for a while now. You've been forgetting to wrap it for about 20 years, right? So uh, there, there's different approaches to this. But in, um, I think in, in a Christmas focus, when you, when you make the, uh, when one, one, of the, one of the pitfalls of, our, of the way we celebrate the holiday season in America is we make it about commercialism and, and we forget the um, we forget the necessity of, of waiting. And I think that the reason that, that waiting is built into Advent, the reason that, that we have waiting built into Advent is so that we can um, we can discover and enjoy solidarity with with the with the not only the global church, but the historical church, all of the people of God in, in all time who, for whom waiting was a, was a normal and necessary part of, of their faith. And so in this, we have solidarity with them. But it's also a reminder, as I said, that though we celebrate at Christmas time Jesus' first advent, in other words, he was born as a baby in a manger, we are also looking forward to his second advent. He's coming uh, again. And so... Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about preparation. I'll just be up front. I am going to hardcore normalize some stuff. In other words, I'm going to talk about how one prepares for, for Christmas. And it, um, it may not be how your family prepares for Christmas, and, and that's okay. Um, I just want to say that up front because I'm going to talk about how I prepare for Christmas as the only right way. Um, <laughs> Uh, that is that is rhetorical. I'm sure that you have great Christmas celebrations um, and that they're wonderful and the way that you prepare is, is fine, um, if not quite as good. Um, here's, the, here's the thing about me and uh, in Christmas preparation and I think to a certain extent my, my, my children and I, I, I think it comes from, from background and it's interesting because my wife and I come from, from just different different kind of home, uh, home backgrounds. Um, I suspect that wherever the Drakes immigrated from, uh, it was a different part of Europe than the part that my wife's family uh, immigrated from. But one of those things that happened is, and maybe it's just, just personality, but I tend to be an idealist, right? So I idealize everything. And so this idea of prepping and getting ready for Christmas gets in, 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 in Dave Drake world very, 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 uh, idealized, and there's a very specific way in which this this should happen. So that if we are going to get a get a Christmas tree, and I do emphasize the word "get a Christmas tree," um, one does not, by the way, buy a Christmas tree once because all logic tells us that a Christmas tree would would die. Um, and so some people buy those things in boxes. I. I uh, wholeheartedly disavow those. So in the in the Drake home, we certainly go and and get a Christmas tree because we believe in the spirit of Christmas. Um, <laughs> I don't want to spiritualize that, so I won't. I'm just saying, you know, we we believe in things. We're not heartless. Um, 
So we go each year to get a Christmas tree, and usually uh, the getting of the Christmas tree is pretty intense. Uh, the years in which the Christmas tree is not intense would be the years in which uh, we had babies, or, or in which, uh, uh, actually I think not had babies, but uh, Libby was just pregnant for a baby, or we had newborns at home. So in, in those years, we would go down to the, to the corner to purchase our tree uh, and buy it off, off the off the blacktop there, but usually what we do is that we go to purchase our Christmas tree from a Christmas tree farm. The, the most years uh, of, the, of the last few, we brought them from Prince Farm. We like Prince Farm because of, uh, of, of, of the additional things they have at Prince Farm. Uh, they had, uh, for some reason, uh, several pigs in, in a pen, and they had like free-range chickens that just wandered around, and um, as, as city people, we just really like a country feel when we buy our, our Christmas tree. Uh, we're, we're not very country at all, but we like to visit occasionally, and so there's pigs, and there's, there's chickens, and, and here's what you do is you, you leave the car. It's best if there's snow, but uh, this is actually jumping ahead in the story, because if I'm being honest about how I would prepare for this, there's some necessities before you go. One of the things... Um, I like to do is, is, is make some hot chocolate that we can drink on the way and drink as we go out to get our Christmas tree. The other thing uh, I like to do is I like to have some Christmas music. Um, I'm old enough and been doing this long enough that I remember a mad search for a, um, for a cassette tape that would play Christmas music, so been around a while. Uh, and I remember Libby saying to me, why does everything have to be, we can't find, it'll be fine. We can get a Christmas tree without Christmas music because I couldn't find Christmas music. Um, and I get why she said that. I just don't agree with it philosophically. You could get a Christmas tree without Christmas music, but why would you get a Christmas tree without Christmas music? Because it adds to the, to the experience of getting, so, uh, and especially when you have to drive from, uh, from Wyoming uh, to Allendale to get your, your Christmas tree, you need your Christmas music to get you in the Christmas spirit. Just a brief, a brief note about Christmas music, uh, there is also a way to play Christmas music and a way not to play Christmas music. The way to play Christmas music is to begin to play it the day after Thanksgiving at no point before. Christmas is not the holiday that comes after Halloween, right? And I know that in our, in our stores that eventually we're going to have July 4th Christmas trees up, but Christmas music begins the day after, uh, after Thanksgiving, uh, and people go, uh, I argue with people about this, uh, you know, it's one of those somebody's wrong on the internet sort of things, not, not angry uh, arguing, just fun with my, buddy, my buddies whose wife decorates early and, and stuff like that, I'm like, no, Christmas begins the day, and they're like, why don't you like, no, I love Christmas, it's just that the fact of the matter is, the Christmas season begins the day after Thanksgiving, we do things right in an order in in the Drake home, and so after Christmas, and sometimes, see, I shouldn't say day after, it would be fully appropriate, for instance, to leave your family's Christmas in Greenville and to listen to Christmas music on the way home from there. That's, that's logical. It would not be usually acceptable to listen to Christmas music on the way up to there. The only example, the only allowance I personally make for that is if you were preparing an Advent message and you have to preach an Advent message, then it would be acceptable for you to listen to Christmas music at, at that time. At any rate... You get your Christmas music playing, and you drive out to Allendale to get your Christmas tree. Now, you walk, it's great because you get a saw, and you get to cut down your own Christmas tree. It's best if it snowed, but this is Michigan. We can't, we can't control that. So you go out into the, into the, um, 
uh, the Christmas tree farm. You do the same things that you always do. One of those uh, is, is uh, an advanced game of hide and go seek. That needs to happen. Uh, that's not, you don't have to have that. I mean, you could have a fine Christmas without the game of hide and seek. It just makes it better for us. Uh, and then we look at every Christmas tree we can, fi- we can find. Again, my wife will often walk into the Christmas tree farm and she might find a Christmas tree right next to the entrance and say, what about this one? And I say, it's right next to the entrance. You can't take the Christmas tree that's right next to the entrance because you don't know there could be a better looking Christmas tree someplace else. You don't know. You haven't seen them. And it's very important to see the other ones. And just as a matter of fact, the logic of my logic says that if this was the best Christmas tree, why would it be right next to the entrance? Someone would take that, right? Other people who don't value Christmas very much would get their first Christmas tree they see. I do not get the first Christmas tree I see. Um, I try to see every Christmas tree. Now, usually I don't see every Christmas tree because there is a, you know, uh, in marriage, uh, you have like a, bin, a, a blending of cultures and a blending of views. And so we have to meet in the middle. Uh, but I do like to see most Christmas trees out there to make sure that I've made the perfect choice. Uh, we have a lot of debate. There are, is in the Drake comes some debate over which is better looking, the blue spruce or the, or the white pine. Uh, we, we debate over that. But eventually we cut down a Christmas tree and we drag it back to the car. We throw it up on top of the car. We tie it to the car. We drive our Christmas tree home. Uh, and, and then it sits in our front yard for about three days until... <laughs> See, I really like buying Christmas trees. I just don't enjoy putting them up that much. Like if we could get... Um, our favorite Christmas tree story is I had surgery right before, before Christmas once, and uh, we went to put our Christmas tree up, and it was too tall to um, fit in our house, and my dad was going to help us by cutting it down with a skill saw from the top. Um, and my wife, for some reason, had a problem with that. Not me. I'm a drake. We do things like that. I was like... Um, so... You get the Christmas tree. Our Christmas tree sits on the porch for a while because I really like the getting the Christmas. But eventually the Christmas tree will get decorated. You have, we have the same decorations that we've, that we've always had. Our favorite decorations are decorations that our children have made in school. So the best decorations are the ones that are on, on construction paper with pictures and, uh, and, um, uh, and those... Uh, pipe cleaners that, that hold them, and you see the uh, see their pictures or their, the the um, the ornaments you got for their for their first Christmas, and we put those up. Um, then we put up uh, our our peanuts nativity set. Um, we put up other things around the house, and we decorate, uh, and that is a large part of the uh, part of the preparation. And um, I'm sure. Even if they're completely different, that in your home you have some sort of different proper preparation. I remember we did have one year uh, where honestly it was just a struggle. There were some uh, there were some things going on um, with adoption, some things going on with other family stuff, some things going on with church stuff where we just for some reason did not uh, have the energy and we didn't decorate until very late. But it was interesting that when we decorated very late, it sort of lifted our lifted our spirit because this is our this is our tradition this is our preparation and, and so you prepare somehow and uh i i tell all of that to say of course there is no um there's probably no right way to prepare for for what is largely largely made up american stuff about a, about a holiday but that's that's how we prepare but it does point to this is that the season of advent and the ministry of John the Baptist do seem to be, to be a preparation. They prepare for something. And, and the reason uh, we set up and the reason we put energy into, into Christmas should be 
you know, hopefully for us it's about the celebration of this holiday, holiday Christmas. And I find that, that I enjoy greatly that, that preparation. And, and the point I want to make is, is simply this, is that there is in Scripture this idea of one who prepares for Jesus to come. And the church, the early church, when they made the Advent calendar, saw that and said, that should be a regular part of who we are as Jesus followers. And so, uh, just for a minute, I want to read to you from, from John chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent, the, sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed but, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he... Who come, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day Jesus was coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is John. What is John's role? John is, his role is to prepare the world for the coming, for the first advent, to prepare the world for Jesus to come. They send people to ask John because John is doing all this ministry, and it's interesting. The reason, part of the reason is he's out in the desert and he's attracted the crowd. Another reason is he's dressing in an odd way, but that odd way reminds them of the Old Testament prophets. Another reason is that they understand their scripture and they understand the things that they're, they're looking for and they understand that they're supposed to be a coming one. They understand the prophecies that there's coming a Messiah. They understand all of these things and when they see John's behavior, they start to wonder, is he the one or is at least he claiming to be the one? Because in John's time, there would have been all kinds of people uh, dressing up oddly and claiming to be the one. So they send someone out to ask John, who in the world are you and what is this you're up to? And he confessed to them and does not deny. He says, I am not the Christ. That would have been their first issue. Are you the Messiah? Would you claim to be the one? Uh, he was odd. He, he was calling people to something. He was having followers. And so they start to wonder, could this guy be the one to be the Messiah? Or maybe even, who knows that they're, they're, they're being disingenuous. They're, they might just be asking, is he claiming to be the Messiah? Maybe they're, they're out to get him. But they want to know, who is this guy in the desert, who walks around in, in camel hair, who eats locusts and honey. He's an odd guy. What's up with this dude? So they say, are you the Christ? And he says, I am not. He says, what then? Are you Elijah? So they ask him, so the prophecies, the prophecies from the Old Testament say that, that a prophet uh, it will come again who is, who is in, the, uh, in, the, in the line of or in the style is like Elijah. There's a prophet like Elijah comes, and when he comes, it will be, the, be just before. It will be a time when, when the Messiah is near. Are you him? He says to them, I am not. What we discover on some levels is that John's extraordinarily humble. And he doesn't even seem to fully put the, the, the same amount of importance or on his own ministry, not in a negative way, but he's, he's humble. And so he says, no, I'm not, I, I'm just me. I, I'm just me. But 
we would see if we went further that Jesus and elsewhere seems to associate with his ministry largely with Elijah. That, that in, in certain senses he is, in fact, the Elijah come again. And they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? He says, I'm not. He says, then are you the prophet? So they had this idea that even coming before, uh, before the Messiah, there was a prophet coming. And the, and the role of the prophet would, would, would be to declare that the end was at hand. Right? And the way in which they, they view these things could be, could be varied. Uh, it doesn't mean that they ha- all of them had an apocalyptic, like, total end of all things view, although there was some of that. Some of them had a view of just a Messiah coming to save them. Others had a view of a military king coming to put their people back where, the, where they were supposed to be. But at any rate, they were watching and they were waiting. They were expecting the coming of something. They had read Scripture... And they have waited, and their understanding is that there's coming a time, there's coming a time when the Messiah will come. And so they see John, and they want to know, is he the Messiah? And he says, no. Well, then are you Elijah? He says, no. Then are you the prophet? He says, no. Then they say, well, then who in the world are you? If you're none of those things, who are you? And he says to them, uh, they say, who are you? We need you to give uh, an answer to give to those who sent us. What do you say to your, about yourself? And he says this, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah says. So, although John does not claim for himself the title uh, of Elijah, though he doesn't claim uh, those things, he does, in a certain extent, understand that, that his ministry is not is not just an earthly ministry. He takes upon himself uh, uh, the words of, of Isaiah. He quotes the prophet and says, make straight or prepare the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Prepare. He is the, he is the one who has come to prepare them, to help them make preparation. He quotes from Isaiah. In the context of Isaiah, originally, it was a, it was a concept of... of uh, it's a messianic prophecy, but the concept is, is that there's all these mountains and the king or the, is going to come into the town. The ruler is going to come in, into the town and there's mountains and they need to get him there. So they're, they're, going, to, they're going to make straight there. They're going to build roads through, through the mountain. Build a straight road. Prepare the way. Get people ready. I don't know if you've been... Um, I've only been out east and not out west in the mountains, but even in the east, if you're in the mountains in... Um, in Virginia and places like that, there's places where the mountains get, get very high and they do one of two things, is that they shave down the mountain to make a pass between, the, between them or they make a tunnel through the mountain because it would take too much time to go up and over and drive around to get up up the, the mountain. He says, no, make straight the ways of the Lord. That's the context in Isaiah. He's saying, that's my job. I am here to make it, 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 it. so when the Messiah comes, he, he comes into town on, on straight paths. I am the one who helps you prepare for the Messiah, he says. Now they have been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? So there's the second question, right? So he's in the wilderness and he's out there. They're baptizing. Typically, baptism has to come with some authority or comes with some claim. They're used to various baptisms, but in their time before John, the baptisms, a lot of times, the person being baptized would baptize themselves as an, as an action to say, um, uh, for instance, a person who became a Jewish proselyte, they converted to Judaism from another from another. Uh, from another faith or from no faith, they would do their own baptism. But John's out here doing baptisms, and they think it's a little bit odd. They're like, under whose authority? Who, who told you you could do that? 
says, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but one stands among you who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, John is, emphasizes again John's humility. So typically in this time, if, if, a, if a disciple followed a teacher, they would do everything, everything for the teacher that a slave would do for a teacher except for touch his feet, wash his feet, touch his shoes. John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his, his sandals. Basically says, compared to the one, compared to the one who's coming after me, compared to the one that you don't know, I'm lower than a, the slave, than a slave. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, Jesus, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, what do you, what do you make of that and how does it relate to our, to our Advent, Advent season? John is the preparer. He's come, he, he's come to make straight the, the path of, of the Lord. So then we ask him, how did... How did John do that? How did John make straight the path? Well, by saying things like, behold, here he comes after you. Behold, here comes the Lamb of God. But in a larger sense, in his ministry, and what was the ministry of John the Baptist? The ministry of John the Baptist was, was to go into the desert and to declare that people must repent and tell them to come and be baptized in repentance. His baptism, uh, which the, the details aren't, aren't here, but are, are elsewhere in the other Gospels, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. Right? It's why he didn't want to baptize Jesus when Jesus came to him, because he knew that Jesus had nothing from what to repent. But John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. John's, bapt John's ministry, John's preaching, all of it is a ministry of repentance. All of that is he is, he is saying, you need to, to repent, for there is coming a time when the Messiah is coming. Be ready. And so he preaches repentance, repentance, repentance. Another, the, the, the idea then that, that we start to understand is that in the, the presence of the Messiah, sin needs to go away. Right? And now we under, understand that a person cannot, apart from the Messiah apart from the working of Christ, that a person cannot leave sin behind. But John is talking to the people and preparing them for the time when the one who would make the fullness of their repentance possible. He's telling them, leave the way that you were living. Leave the things that you did do. Turn around and follow this one. Follow, get ready for the coming Messiah. He's getting them ready for Jesus to come on the scene and to make their repentance full, to make their, to make their, their repentance filled with meaning, to make the fact that they have turned from sin. He is the one who is going to take the sins upon himself. And so he's preaching this message, leave sin, the Messiah is coming. Leave sin, the Messiah is coming. Leave sin, the Messiah is coming is coming. That is largely his message. He says to them, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's out there in the desert baptizing people who are repenting and leaving their sin. He has in at least some rudimentary form then an understanding that their, their repentance, their ability to, to, to give up their, their sin is, is, is created or happens because of the one who comes behind them. The one who is coming, the lamb who will take away their sin, makes the repentance possible. But yet, the, the, the correct response, when you know that the Messiah is coming, 
is to turn from your sins. So this is, this is preparation. Um, I, would, I would think of, uh, this is, let, let me say it like this. There's a kind of preparation that my children never seem to understand. And it's this preparation. It's we're having people over on a Sunday night and we need to clean the house. We fight about this a lot. I mean, way more than, than we should. Like, sometimes I'm like, are my kids just sort of defective or do, like, all kids not get this? Because I love them. They know I love them. And only one sitting. No, I guess they're over there. But uh, I just wonder sometimes because we have this argument. The little one especially likes to yell, why do we need to clean? They're our friends. All the time. We're like, no, we need to get the house picked up a little. We have friends coming over. Your friend is coming over. Why don't you pick up your bedroom so that you can be in it? My bedroom's fine. Listen, if by fine, you mean needs a literal, like we talked about that mountain pass where they blew a hole through the mountain. That's kind of how, what they'd have to do in that bedroom most of the time. Like, we've been working on it. I feel like we're, in, in, we're going to redo it, and, and we're in a project. I, we're, there's, there's hardcore bribes out there of, like, a beta fish if we can get this, this bedroom to, to where we want it to be. Like, like, I hope and suspect that this is not only my children, but we routinely have people over on Sunday night, and I routinely hear from my children, why do we have to do this? They're our friends. Like, and I'm like, I'm not really worried that our friends are going to judge us. I mean, not extremely worried. I, some days, some days it's really bad. And then you're slightly worried that your friends are going to judge you. You know, you're like, this is, there's a state of disrepair, and then there's a state of have four kids disrepair on a weekend, you know, and it, it, gets, it gets bad. And so you're like, but there's the thing, when you know that your friends whom you love and you care for are coming, that you prepare the house for them because it's just a, it's an act of love and respect because it would be awkward and weird to not clean the house sometimes. Like, again, four boys or three boys and a girl. What do the three boys do? The three boys wrestle and throw stuff and do stuff constantly. Um, it is amazing how clean a house can be uh, 10 minutes before three boys walk into it and how not clean it can be 10 minutes after three boys walk into it and it's like a whirlwind and there's wrestling and they're standing on their hat and there's there's some sort of always aerobics sort of thing going on in the house and there's jumping and there's running and there's 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 eating of stuff like this is this is a true story like we we get food and it has wrappers and then we go to clean and we find the wrappers like tucked into the cushion of a chair that they're not allowed to eat in how's that happen we don't know how it happens because there's too many denials. We haven't. There's some things I'm just like I don't have the energy to get to the bottom to clean of clean that up, right? We prepare our house for a house guest, and we prepare our house just for when our friends come. Like if you're having people over, it is customary we prepare the house. Imagine if someone. <coughs> Someone of importance came to your house, you know. I mean, you could start small. Here in Wyoming, we have a mayor. I think it's Jack Bolt, but I, I don't even remember currently. Uh, but let's, let's assume Mayor Bolt uh, came to your house. You'd pick up that house. 
you get it ready. You would have the house prepared. You would have the house ready. And then assume someone bigger, some sort of state representative. The only one I can think of is Justin Amash. If Justin Amash were coming to your house, you'd get the house ready. Right? And you can go all the way up, but if someone important were coming to your house, you would get the house ready. And, and, the, and the work of, of John the Baptist is a lot like that. He's saying the Messiah is coming. Get the house ready. Get the house picked up. Get the house clean. Now, what, what John can't be saying and is not saying is the Messiah is coming and you better get rid of all your sin or the Messiah won't accept you. Because that's not possible. Right? We interpret Scripture in the whole, whole of Scripture. We would, not, we would not affirm that. So in other words, what I'm not saying to you is clean up your life or Jesus won't accept you. I don't think that's the point. I think John's talking to people who are already expecting the Messiah, who already are, are, are in, their, uh, in their belief systems prepared for the Messiah. He's talking to people who in as much as the full revelation of God is available to them, they are followers of the full revelation of God. But he's preaching repentance. He's essentially saying, turn from your sins now. You know that the Messiah is coming. Make your house ready for the Messiah. And then John, because he tells us that the Lamb is coming who takes away the sin of the world, he has an understanding that, that even that repentance is based or predicated upon the fact that the, the Messiah is coming. So I say that because what I don't want you to hear me say is if you're a person who has not yet met Jesus, I don't want you to hear me say that you need to clean yourself up, that you need to make yourself better, that you need to heal yourself, that you need to do these things to make it, to make it so that God will accept you. That is not the whole teaching of scripture, but rather in God coming, in the, the Messiah coming, the Messiah takes away your sins, and, and, and when he takes away your sins, he takes away God's judgment and wrath towards you. He makes you uh, acceptable to, to God. He makes you a, a child of God. He, he does all of those things. But yeah, I want to talk to us then as believers, knowing that reality, we do need to face the fact face this fact that we live in, in a time we're prepping and we're getting ready for an Advent season where we're getting ready for December 25th in, in this country where we celebrate the first coming of Jesus. But there is a reality is that Jesus is coming again. We talked about this last week. We ended with Revelation chapter 22 where we said, even so, Lord, come quickly. Even so, Lord, come quickly. We need to be aware of this, that Jesus is coming again. There is coming a time when, when, when the sky will break, when the trump will sound, when the, when the Lord will descend with his angels with them and he will establish fully his kingdom in the new heaven and a new earth. We said last week, even so, come quickly. This message then is for those who believe, hear this, get your house ready. Get your house ready. It is not appropriate. We are not, um, we are not and, and, and never will be uh, moralist uh, 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 crosswinds. In other words, we will never teach you this idea that, that you are acceptable or made acceptable to God based upon your effort, based upon your earning, based upon any of that that is not a, a, a fact. We do not accept that, that idea that, there, that, um, 
that if you follow the right rules and do the right things and follow the right formula, that you can somehow make yourself acceptable to God. We reject that. But what we also reject is the idea that a person having been cleansed by God, a person having been rescued by the Lamb of God, a person having been made new in Christ through the cross of Christ will turn from his sin and he ought to live a repentant lifestyle. He ought to live a holy lifestyle. He ought to say that sin is not appropriate in the life that I live because the sin that I commit now is a sin that Christ has died for. And the sin that I commit tomorrow is a sin that Christ has died for. And the wrath of God was upon Christ for the sins that I commit. And if I am a follower of him, I ought not sin. And so we do live in this reality. I am not telling you, stop sinning so that God will love you. Rather, I am telling you, because God has loved you, because he has died for you, because you, he has redeemed you, because he has rescued you, and because he is coming again, we ought to repent and make ready our homes for the coming of the Messiah. There is coming a day when he will come in the flesh, when he will come in, in, in time and in history, when he will physically descend and he will be on this planet, a new heaven and a new earth. Will your house be ready? Understand this, the gospel is not opposed to striving for holiness. The gospel is opposed to the concept that you could somehow earn your own holiness. And so we need to, to understand then that if we are, are going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we are going to prepare for him, part of that preparation should be looking around for the sin that exists in our lives in every corner of our home, uh, our home, so to speak, every corner of ourselves, every corner of who we are, we should look for that sin and we should seek to kick it out of our lives to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Messiah. Because we love him and because he's loved us. And because just as I would pick up my home if you were coming to visit me, the reality is, is that the King of Kings is coming again for me to establish a new uh, heaven and a new earth. And it says, and it says that in, in, in that place that, that, that Jesus said, I go to, make, uh, to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If, if Jesus has prepared a place for me, I want to make myself ready for the place that Jesus has prepared. And the reality then, or the idea then is this, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, why would you continue to walk in sin? Why would you continue to do what is wrong? Why would you continue to allow the sin to be in the, the home? Why would the home uh, uh, of your life? Why would you continue to allow it to be there? Jesus has rescued you from it. Behold, here comes the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. If he took away the sin of the world and you know him, he's taken away your sin. And yet it's interesting that we as followers of Jesus often continue to live in sin as if we could have the salvation of Jesus and deny the greatest gift that he's given which is the fact that we no longer have to live under the curse and the oppression of sin. Sin is not more fun. Sin is not better. Sin is not greater. We live with a warped idea. We buy into the world's concept when we say, man, Jesus, I follow Jesus, so I can't do that anymore. I can't do that with that girl, or I can't say that anymore, or I can't fight like that, or I can't drink like that, or I can't do drugs like that. I can't do it no more because I follow Jesus. Man, man, you have a warped idea. That is a wrong idea, and you need to prepare yourself because the Messiah is coming, and the greatest gift that the Messiah gives you, besides his person and direct access to the Father, the one of the, the, the greatest gift he gives you on earth is this. You don't have to sin anymore. 
You don't have to. You're free from it. It's not, oh, I don't get to. It's you don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to do the drugs. You don't have to drink. You don't have to live in anger. You don't have to live in strife. You don't have to have a broken attitude. You don't have to have broken relationships. You do not have to live in sin anymore. This is the gift that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is given. So, what, what I'm saying to you is this, is that as we enter into this Advent season, as we progress towards the Christmas candle, which we'll light together on December 25th, we, 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 we look at it in light of this reality, that there is a coming Messiah. We want to experience it as they experienced it. And so we'll talk about the historical reality of the fact that he came the first time as a baby born in a manger. But we also want to contextualize it for ourselves with this reality that he is coming again. Not as a baby born in a manger, but as a conquering Savior who has overcome sin, death, and hell on your behalf so that you might know Him, that you might see Him, that you might be with the Father, that you might know the Father, that you might touch Him, that you might have all of those things. And one of those things is you don't have to sin anymore. That's good news. And so as we prepare in this season for the reality, as we prepare and we say together, even so, Lord, come quickly, let us prepare our hearts by kicking out sin, by being a people of repentance, by, by listening to the message of John, who prepared the way for the Messiah. When he was preparing the way for the Messiah, what did he preach? He pre preached repentance. The Messiah is coming again. What do I preach this morning? I preach repentance. It means to turn from your sins. You need to know that turning from your sins is your birthright. It's your birthright on basis of your adoption into the family of Jesus Christ. On the basis of the fact that God is your father. Leave your sins. We live in a time, I feel like theology is often corrective. So we live in a time where the churches are, have, have started a lot of churches anyways, to preach the gospel more clearly. They, they've started to preach the reality that, that moralism, the idea that you can be good to earn favor with God and that Christianity is essentially about making good little boys and good little girls. We have, we've come through a time where the gospel is starting to preach, so people are saying, no, Christianity is not about making good little boys and uh, uh, making bad boys good and bad girls good. It's about making dead men and dead women alive. And that only happens through Jesus. And it's not about what you earn. It's not about, we, we've come through that. And that is a needed corrective because, frankly, the moralism is not the gospel. There's no salvation if you think it's earned. But at the, by the same token, as we preach the grace of Jesus Christ, may we never, never fail to preach this reality that one of the greatest graces of Jesus Christ that we must avail ourselves of this is that we don't have to sin anymore. Let us be holy. Let us do right. Let us do good. Let us dig into Scripture and what Scripture tells us to do. Let us do it with all of our heart. Let us be a people who when we sin, we repent. The word repent means to turn from. May we turn from our sins. May we get the house ready. The king's coming. The Messiah's coming. Someday soon. Came in history in a manger. Lived amongst us, did not sin. Died on a cross, was put in a grave, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. But the teaching of scripture is this, he is coming again. That's Advent. Are you preparing for him? 
Are you going to be ready for him? Are you making the house ready? The king is coming. Turn from your sin.